Welcome to the Modern Warrior Podcast. I am your host, Gavin Meenan, and on this podcast, I will be speaking to inspirational individuals who specialize in the field of physical and mental health to offer you the tools that you need to become a stronger, healthier, and more confident man in today's world. Hello and welcome to episode number 46 of the Modern Warrior podcast. I am back after a short break, launched my second book last week, so things have been pretty hectic. And today I am back with Brendan Vermeyer. Brendan is the CEO of Metabolic Solutions, and this has me incredibly intrigued, and I can't wait to learn more about it and for Brendan to share with us the work that he does. I know it's of high value, so stay tuned. There's going to be tons of knowledge that you will gain from this episode that's going to benefit your life massively. So, Brendan, my man, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Gavin. Thanks for having me, and congratulations on your second book launch. I'll have to check that out, and it's very exciting. Much appreciated, my man. Thank you very much. And... uh, yeah, it's an honor to have you here. I've been going through your social media and your website, and there's there's some brilliant, brilliant content there that, as, as I said, has me highly intrigued, and I know it's going to add a lot of value to the listeners today. So first of all, I'm very interested to know what Metabolic Solutions is all about. What's going on there? Absolutely. I appreciate it. So Metabolic Solutions is is the business I created. I, I filed for the LLC back in 2017. And back then it was just a private practice. I just had my private clients, uh, functional medicine practice and helping private clients get to the root causes of their health issues and using more functional holistic interventions to help them overcome their health struggles. And that was like the organic kind of grassroots start. And then over the years, I actually developed it further into Metabolic Solutions Institute. So now we actually train other types of health professionals in kind of the art and science of functional medicine. So, you know, we're, we're not, we're kind of a specialty institute. We're not one of those, like we're cranking out holistic, you know, certified holistic health coaches left and right. We're not really interested in handing out credentials or reteaching the basics or replicating the wheel we're a very specialized niche institute where we're really training practitioners, whether they're medical doctors, naturopathic doctors, chiropractors, dietitians, health coaches, we don't discriminate, but we train them in the art and science of lab analysis and protocol construction and how to be a really good functional practitioner. So the institute is kind of the main branch, but then now we're also, uh, I'm in the process of starting the Metabolic Solutions uh, Research and Education Foundation. So it's gonna be a not-for-profit foundation where we're doing clinical research specifically within the realm of uh, researching mental illness and metabolic illness. So, you know, Metabolic Solutions is kind of the overarching umbrella sort of corporation, if you will. And I have sort of niched down. I'm most known for uh, a functional medicine approach to mental health, but that's just kind of the niche that I chose because mental health is something that's so near and dear to my heart. It hits close to home because of my own battle with mental illnesses. Um, But this is where I think it's really interesting where kind of the current landscape, especially in America, and I can more so speak as an American than the rest of the world, but we are in, you know, this chronic disease crisis, 
mental health crisis, but then also an infectious disease crisis all at the same time. And the, uh, you know, big pharma conventional healthcare model, it's not getting the job done. So this is where tons and tons of people are really starting to turn towards, you know, integrative, functional, holistic. Uh, and I'm just trying to do my part to, you know, create new research, create new education, create new understanding that can be, you know, received by the masses of how can they empower themselves to take control of their health and actually, you know, get to those root cause factors that might be causing the mental illness or the metabolic illness or whatever it is. So there's a lot to, to be done there, um, but I'm having fun with it. And I'm just trying to do my part to pay it forward and serve the world. That sounds brilliant, my man. And uh, yeah, sorry to hear about your own mental health issues. I have read a bit about your story on on your website. And could you give us a bit of an insight as to the, your own struggles with that and how you've overcome it? Because there's a lot of my listeners who are perhaps in a bad place right now and would would uh, gain great inspiration from your own story yeah no absolutely i'm i'm an open book with that stuff there's there's a lot of uh bits and pieces of my story kind of floating around the internet and you know obviously the full story is a very very long one because it's you know arguably my entire life but especially at least a decade of going from um you know some kind of bullet point cliff notes and we can tease it out as much as we want. But when I was 17, that was when I was first put on a psychiatric drug. And I, I was just doing a, a physical for athletic participation purposes. I wasn't there, you know, for any sort of mental health complaint. But even at the age of 17 in high school, uh, I mentioned, you know, symptoms of depression and seasonal affective disorder. And I was prescribed Zoloft uh, SSRI by my primary care physician no blood work done, no objective evaluation, no referral to a mental health professional of any kind, just here, here's a psychiatric drug, which that's the standard, right? Like that's just the standard, at least in America, we dispense psychiatric drugs like Halloween candy, even though they have all of these known deleterious side effects, like, you know, sexual health dysfunction or increased risk of suicidal ideation or increased dependency on the compound, so on and so forth. Now all of these drugs have stern black box warnings, but that's not at all slowing down the rate at which they're dispensed by primary care physicians without any sort of health investigation. So that was when I was 17. And then four years later, when I was 21, um, I joined the Navy after high school for the Navy SEAL program. And unfortunately was medically discharged because I had a pre-existing injury that I didn't know about. So that was a huge blow to me at that point as a young man, because that was my life goal. Uh, I felt like my identity taken away from me. So then I was like, you know, 19, 20, 21, trying to figure out life. Um, looking back, I think I was really kind of a high functioning, depressed young man. And I just, I didn't know it because you're trying to figure out life. You have no perspective on reality or who you are. So I actually started uh, as a personal trainer and nutritionist. And I fell in love. It was a very easy pivot of like, well, what do I do with my life now? I was very passionate about fitness and health and performance and nutrition. And I just absolutely fell in love with the science of human physiology and metabolic health and performance. So I started my career with that. But actually, at that point in time, my mental health was hitting an all time low, to the point I was having all sorts of suicidal ideations. And I actually, when I was 21, I found myself back in front of my primary care uh, physician. This time he prescribed a dopamine drug instead of Zoloft. So 
just a different um, compound. But then he referred me to a psychiatry clinic where I underwent, you know, subjective assessments, you know, more based on symptoms and questionnaires. So still no blood work, no lab testing, nothing objective about my health. And then I was diagnosed formally with major depressive disorder and ADHD and put on two more psychiatric drugs on top of the Wellbutrin. So now I'm on three different psychiatric drugs. And it was actually two weeks later that I woke up in the intensive care unit breathing out of a tube because I intentionally overdosed on the first prescription uh, as you know, a suicide attempt. And I spent like five nights in the ICU just to get medically stable. I was then transferred to an inpatient psychiatric ward where I was literally locked up, couldn't step outside, nothing but you know, nutrient void processed cafeteria food to eat, no sunlight, no fresh air, no exercise, just locked up. And you're treated like a guinea pig. You're treated like, you know, somebody that doesn't know how to take care of themselves. And you're just being put on all of these psychiatric drugs to find that cocktail that keeps you stable before they release you back into the world. So I quite literally experienced firsthand how dysfunctional and broken the psychiatric model is, the conventional psychiatric model. And so that kind of set me on a path where I went back to my nutrition and fitness job, but over the years that evolved into, you know, holistic health practitioner, functional medicine educator, now mental health researcher and scientist. So I've kind of continued this theme of really trying to unravel the complexities of mental illness. And so that's kind of my main mission these days is I'm trying to change the way the world thinks about mental illness, because it's not at all what the conventional narrative says. There's so much science that we have that can create a greater understanding that people are empowered to really get to like what is driving what we are stigma stigmatically calling mental illness and how can I, you know, heal myself? Because, you know, I'm medication free today. I've never been happier, never been healthier. And I've learned a lot along that journey. And so now I've created a business model and a not-for-profit to try to pay it forward. Unbelievable stuff, my man. Well done. And that's incredibly inspirational to be able to get through not just one dark and lonely pit, but several along the way to the point you're at right now. So um, as I said, that's going to be massively inspiring to any listener who's in a bad place today to give them some hope of moving forward. And on this podcast, I do speak to a lot of um, people who who work in the in the mental health realm to some degree and even myself i work with a lot of men who um, struggle with their mental health anxiety depression just feeling stuck in life and my general assessment and what i gather from my previous uh, guests some of them are psychiatrists and psychologists is sort of trying to unravel the past to get to the source of the pain that's been uh, that that's triggering this this mental health illness or this mental mental instability that they have in their life right now but i get the sense from you that there's a lot more to it than that or you believe there's a lot more to it than that so could you tell I us you. Tell, tell us tell us what you believe to be true absolutely um it's a lot to unpack because unfortunately especially in america the only narrative that the, the public is fed is, is the narrative of big pharma. 
there is no other narrative. Like if it's not a narrative that puts money in the pocket of big pharma, it doesn't exist and it gets censored. And, um, and there's a lot to unpack with that, just kind of the business, the economic factor of just big pharma has gotten so big, so powerful, such deep pockets. And they have such a heavy influence over the media and the narrative that's communicated. So unfortunately, I think there's a real issue with public health needs to be separated from the interest of big pharma. And it's not right now. And that's an issue because now it has an entire nation of America excessively reliant on big pharma just to get by, just to enhance quality of life. We're, we're spoon fed and promoted a lifestyle that creates chronic inflammation, chronic disease, mental health disorders, comorbidities, the full gambit. And then we're also then turned around and sold the pharmaceuticals to keep us alive that also enable our self-destructive behaviors with this toxic lifestyle that we're being spoon fed. So it's, it's a huge issue. And what makes mental health really interesting for one thing, there's a lot of stigma. It's very misunderstood. So there's this cloud and of bad energy and taboo and stigma that just makes it an uncomfortable thing to talk about. So that's a barrier right there. But then all the while, like the narrative that we're told about what mental illness is doesn't actually align with the scientific literature. The scientific literature is vast. It's enormous. And it very clearly maps out many physiological mechanisms that are so commonly dysfunctional in most Americans and, and other people around the world. But it's like, you know, insulin, insulin resistance and hyperglycemia drives mental illness and neurodegeneration, fatty liver, a dysbiotic leaky gut, a leaky brain. You know, the, the list goes on and on. But metabolic illness really drives mental illness. Now, the thing is with mental illness and neurodegeneration, which are kind of two sides of the same coin, you do have to acknowledge that there's the psycho-emotional component of mental health disorders, and then there's the physiological. So psychological, physiological, and those kind of have to be separated. But what makes it really tricky is they're influencing one another. So, you know, if you have a fatty liver, you have hyperglycemia and dyslipidemia and just all these basic metabolic dysfunctions that fuels this pathophysiological neuroinflammatory response in the brain that then drives neurotransmitter imbalances and stunted neuroplasticity and all these things mechanistically that then creates the symptoms that we call and categorize as mental illness. But there's the psycho-emotional component too. So anytime I'm consulting with a private client, we literally have to differentiate between the psycho-emotional healing opportunities like, hey, you're really stressed or you have unresolved trauma or you're in a toxic relationship or more of those psychological contributors. But then we also have to identify the physiological contributors as well, like you're nutrient deficient, you have a fatty liver, your microbiome is unhealthy and you have leaky gut or you know, whatever the case is. So you kind of have to create two separate lists of psycho-emotionally, what do we have to work on here to improve your mental health, but also physiologically. So it can be a bit of both. It could be something as simple as like somebody's gluten intolerant and they don't know it. They wonder why they are experiencing anxiety and depression, insomnia, but at the same time, the unresolved trauma side. And so speaking to that a little bit, I feel like trauma has become really trendy in this really popular subject on Instagram. 
And there's a lot to unpack there because now we actually see that stress and trauma, PTSD, it creates a mechanistic physiological inflammatory response in the brain. So we can actually safely say, based on the literature, that stress and psychoemotional trauma can cause neuroinflammation and resulting in mental illness or, or neurodegeneration. But I think it's a really key concept for people to understand inflammation and oxidative stress, but that's a little more complicated than we need to go. But inflammation is really the main mechanism that drives what we call mental illness and neurodegeneration. Like neurodegeneration is just chronic neuroinflammation, whereas mental illness, whether it's you know, uh, PTSD or autism spectrum or schizophrenia or bipolar, they're all unique genotypes. They all have a, a unique genetic component. But what happens if you have genetic susceptibility, but then you also have inflammation, oxidative stress, nutrient deficiencies, it just exacerbates that genetic genotype into a dysfunctional phenotype. And so that's such a, and people don't get that, like this is already getting technical for the average listener, but it's like, you know, you, you can't change your genes, but you can change the way that they're expressed through the input signals that you give your genes through your environment, your lifestyle, your psychology, your supplementation, your medication. So there's just so much to unpack there, but mental illness just is not what we think it is and what we're told it is. It's so much more and we have so much influence over it. And so I hope to, you know, help educate people so that they can, you know, get a grip on it. Yeah. There's a lot in there for sure. That's, that's going to uh, blow a few minds there in itself. So, uh, but if we're to simplify that is to understand that, uh, you're, physiological state or your physiological habits uh, your nutrition your sleep your external stresses can influence your your psychological pain or 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 struggles so you have to look at every single aspect of your life instead of just talking about your struggle or talking about your pain or expressing your your anxiety or you know understanding the trauma that's one part of it but that needs to be somewhat uh, correlated with good nutrition proper sleep exercise sunlight less exposure to fluorescent lighting you know being more active all these sort of things is that too simple or is, is it... um no i not necessarily because you know, you think about like the, the typical approach to mental illness, which is like you go start talking to a therapist and you take a psychiatric drug. That's like the, that's the classic approach, right? Like you need to talk to somebody about your feelings and unravel your trauma and emotions and whatever. Um, and then you take a psychiatric drug that his, you know, historically focuses on balancing your brain chemicals. And so like with mental illness, most of the psychiatric drugs currently being used are based on what is really kind of an out of date theory, which is like the monoamine theory of mental illness, which is focusing on imbalanced brain chemicals. But now what we really see is that inflammation really drives brain chemical imbalances. And so when we look at the facts that, you know, chronic disease and this chronic inflammation issue that we're dealing with in modern society because of sedentary lifestyle, not enough time in nature, social isolation, 
processed food diet, you know, all those basic lifestyle factors, it's driving this chronic low-grade meta-inflammation. And it's crazy how nobody argues with the idea that chronic inflammation drives chronic disease. Nobody argues against that. The literature is too strong. But then when you say chronic inflammation drives chronic neuroinflammation that then results in mental health disorders or mental illness, people lose their minds. But it's the same thing. Like this is connected to this. Like if this is all chronically inflamed and it's like a, a slow cooker, what, what do you think is going on up here? Why do you think Alzheimer's is the sixth leading cause of death in America? Right. And now, you know, scientists are starting to refer to Alzheimer's as a type three diabetes because the neurons, the brain cells themselves become insulin resistant. Right. So I think something just scientifically that would help people kind of understand this. And this is the focal point of my work and my research. There's a specific type of white blood cell that's exclusive to the central nervous system called microglial cells. And, you know, it's technical, but I find that when I explain what the role of these microglial cells are, people start kind of, oh, now it makes a little bit more sense because these microglial cells, you know, it's a, it's an immune cell and its job in the central nervous system is serves as the guardian and the architect of your central nervous system. So it's there to protect your brain from toxins and infections and cytokines and anything bad. Uh, but it's also there to help the brain repair and regenerate itself when it's been damaged. So it really shapes our neural networks. It's going to trim neural connections that we don't need anymore. If, you know, if it doesn't serve us or we're not using it, you lose it. Microglial cells literally will burn that bridge between neurons, but it'll also like, Hey, we're trying to learn a new skill or adopt a new belief system or create new habits or regenerate this part of the brain. So that's through neuroplasticity and neurogenesis and these microglial cells regulate that as well. So these microglial cells, the activity of these microglial cells dictates neural homeostasis of is the brain regenerating, repairing, growing, we're getting smarter and evolving versus is our brain slowly degenerating over time? And neurodegeneration is a huge issue in America um, and it's directly correlated with mental illness. So this is where if you look at what kind of factors like cause an imbalance of these microglial cells, what most Americans and people struggling with mental health, what's really going on is the microglial cells are excessively activated towards this pro-inflammatory neurodestructive phenotype because they're getting too many input signals that say burn, destroy, right? And so this is where microglial cells have become the focal point of mental illness, neurodegeneration, and big pharma is already working on new drugs that focus on trying to calm down the activity of this specific cell type. But what's really cool is if you reverse engineer that science and look at, so what can I do with my environment, both literal and psycho-emotional, psycho what can I do with my mental outlook and attitude, get control of my brain? What can I do with my lifestyle, my diet, my supplementation? How can I give my, my body, my genes, and my microglial cells the right input signals to promote brain healing rather than brain degeneration? And so that's really what it boils down to is changing your lifestyle, your environment, everything about it to give those cells what it needs to help your brain heal rather than burn over time. Okay. So 
the next question I'm sure a lot of the listeners will have is, okay, how, where do I start? You need to change your environment, change your nutrition, make some changes to your lifestyle. Uh, what, what changes do they need to make? Is it just, is it a matter of, again, I'm trying to understand your beliefs and, and, and your theories. Is it a matter of cutting out gluten? Is it a matter of no more sugar, no more processed foods? Is it a matter of, okay, 20 minutes in the outdoors every day? Is that enough to need more? Eight hours of sleep a night seems to be a big factor in terms of um, physical and, and mental health. Is it about training your body on a regular basis? Like What, what are the keys to... Uh, to longevity, um, not just longevity, but but um, healthy, a healthy mind and a healthy body from your perspective. Yeah, absolutely. In a lot of my um, lecture slide decks, I include this graphical visual um, that I call the functional intervention spectrum, where uh, on the far left, we've got more uh, psycho-emotional work. So that's your, you know, inner child work, your spirituality, your therapy, whatever you use as one type of intervention. And then the environmental intervention, like let's say you're living in a moldy house. Uh, mold illness is one of my areas of specialty. And it's like, all right, you know, you're, you're not going to get better when you're breathing in toxic mold fumes all day. So if there's an environmental issue or like glyphosate or, you know, something in the environment that you're being exposed to and poisoned by, for example, there's literature that shows uh, excess environmental pollution. So people that lives in really polluted cities uh, that is known to drive mental illness and toxicity to the brain and schizophrenia and all these things. So there's the psycho-emotional, the environmental, and the lifestyle, which is what you're touching on of the sleep hygiene, the, the good nutrition, the exercise, the time in nature, time with loved ones. For example, social isolation is associated with decreased neurogenesis. The 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 decrease in your brain's ability to create new brain cells that's decreased by social isolation and you know what have we been told to do for the past two years socially isolate right and then of course there's supplements right there's all sorts of great supplements that can help with brain health whether it's omega-3s or zinc or b vitamins or probiotics or you know therapeutic mushrooms or whatever and then of course there's the pharmaceuticals so i always like to map out that spectrum because it's like you know, what interventions resonate with that person, right? But part of the point, you know, if you just go with like the conventional narrative and you might really be suffering from a neuroinflammatory issue and this microglial phenomena that I'm kind of speaking to, you can go do two decades of therapy, do all the talk therapy you want. That's not really going to do a whole lot to put out the fire that's going on in your central nervous system. So that's where, but on the flip side of that, like you could go get, you know, some sort of psychiatric drug or anti-inflammatory drug, or, you know, there's new drugs coming to the market soon that addresses some of these mechanisms. So it's, you know, a pharmaceutical has a very, very specific mechanism of action of like, well, let's just inhibit this protein or block this receptor or block this cytokine or whatever. But it's like, it's a band-aid. It's not really fixing the problem. It's just managing the problem. It's synthetically, artificially muting the problem. Uh, and what's kind of ironic is some of these new psychiatric drugs that are in phase two clinical trials, they work by blocking inflammation or inflammatory signals, which may improve 
uh, mental health symptoms that are being driven by inflammation, but it also suppresses immunity. So it may, makes you more susceptible to infection. So how do we treat a mental health crisis with immunosuppressive drugs during an infectious disease crisis, right? Like that's what's going on. And it's, it's moronic from a logical scientific perspective, but that's the business model that's being pushed at us. So this is where it's like, okay, uh, bio-individualized supplement protocols are great. You know, there's so many great supplemental therapeutics, you know, zinc copper ratios and probiotics or even different types of mushrooms are being studied for their effect in regenerating the brain. So it's kind of like, we need to do all the above. Like you need to be addressing the psycho-emotional work, whether that's through spiritual practice or a therapist or talking to a friend or whatever, but look at your environment too. Like if, you know, there's a lot of pollution, like invest in an air filter, invest in a water filter. If you're dealing with a mold problem, get away from it, right? So look at your environment. But then of course the lifestyle, which is arguably the biggest bucket, right? Because especially in America, sedentary, too much time inside, not enough nutrient dense food, right? Not good sleep, not good stress management. So each individual, they have to really get brutally honest with themselves and look at their entire life and go, what's toxic? What is weighing me down psychologically, physiologically? What can I do to improve my health? And I'm not necessarily saying don't use pharmaceuticals. No, you, you might need a drug to keep you even keeled while you do all this cleanup, right? Because yeah, and this is also where working with a practitioner to get to what your root causes are. For one person, it might be like mold and gluten. For another person, it's, you know, xenobiotics and leaky gut, right? So there is that bio-individualized, but what holds true for everybody is the psycho-emotional aspect, the environmental aspect, lifestyle aspect, and then with like supplement protocols or medication, that's that's where it gets more bio-individualized. But we kind of need to be using the full spectrum to really help people heal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like a full evaluate, evaluation of where you are in your life right now and and the certain factors that are perhaps influencing your your behaviors and your thoughts and, and your emotional state. So yeah, as you said, it is about being completely honest with yourself. And it could be something such as a toxic relationship that you may be stuck in that you need to get out of. It could be something like um, the, the wrong sort of, like when you talk about environment, not just the immediate structural environment you live in, but the people you're surrounding yourself with. Maybe there's friends there you need to walk away from that are dragging you down, that are having a, a negative impact on your mental health. And of course, are causing more issues as well. It could be the fact that you are eating three, four, five microwaved meals a day, highly processed, loaded with salt, loaded with sugar, loaded with preservatives, that's having a negative impact on your gut and therefore your your mind as well. So like, as you said, your gut is linked to your your brain. Isn't that, that's the the latest research. I think I came across that maybe two or three years ago um, and certainly made me rethink uh, my lifestyle, alcohol, processed foods, sugars, salts, these sort of things. Um, I think salt has been and I think there's a bit of uh, debunking what salt is in there recently as well. That is actually pretty good for you. Not, not so bad. That's not so bad. But uh, sugar now is something else. And as you said, this all drives inflammation. Just on that point, there's some listeners maybe a little bit unsure or confused as to what exactly is inflammation. And this is a word that is, for me, been thrown around an awful lot over the last 
few months. I understand it, but from your own perspective or from your own, in your own words, could you explain exactly why, what information is and why it's causing such harm in people's lives? Absolutely. It's, it's such an important concept to be familiar with. And it is, it's thrown around a lot, but it's really misunderstood. So the analogy that I usually use, uh, first off, inflammation is the mechanism that the immune system uses to protect you from pathogens and toxins, but also to remodel tissues and clean up debris. So the good analogy is like a, a farmer that burns a field to cleanse the field of debris and brush, right? You know, it's like you have all of this uh, brush and the best thing that you can do to feed the soil and create healthy soil, just burn it, right? Like you, you cut lines into the earth, you control it. It's a contained fire that actually cleanses the earth and recycles nutrients back to the soil. So then you can grow new crops in its place. So under normal healthy physiological circumstances, that's what inflammation is. It's a controlled fire to help the body heal. Now, the problem is what happens if that fire gets out of control and it turns into this raging forest fire. So that's kind of a good analogy for chronic inflammation, right? It's, it's a low grade inflammation that's burning for years and years and years. We call this um, as the immune system gets older, we call that immunosenescence or the inflammation creeping up as people age because their immune system is getting older and worn out. We call that inflammation, just inflammation and aging put together. Very clever, right? But it's, it's helpful to understand, you know, inflammation isn't something that's like binary. It's a zero or one. You have it or you don't have it. That's not how it works. It's a spectrum. You could have severe acute inflammation, such as like you get a viral infection and you have a fever of 103 degrees and you're burning up, uh, your inflammatory markers are through the roof, your white blood cells are through the roof. That's an acute infection, an acute severe inflammatory response that might be, you know, medically severe. But on the other side of that spectrum, you could have just a low grade mild inflammation that's being induced by or dietary habits, or lifestyle habits, stress, right? Stress can be very pro-inflammatory. So you kind of have to think about where on that inflammatory spectrum are you, or what I refer to as the inflammatory load. So, you know, you get a bad night of sleep, you get triggered by your toxic partner, you go eat a processed food cheeseburger, you're not working out, you don't see the light of day, you're breathing in some mold fumes, whatever it is, these are all pro-inflammatory input signals that increase that inflammatory load. So that's really the issue in our conventional healthcare system. They don't really acknowledge that they don't argue that chronic inflammation causes chronic disease, but there's no public health initiative that's trying to teach the population how to reduce chronic inflammation. It's just, well, now you're diabetic, so here's your diabetic drug. Now you're hypertensive, here's your hypertensive uh, hypertension drug. Now you, you know, you just get put on more and more drugs and they might say like, well, you need to lose weight, you need a diet, you need exercise, but that's it. Right. So there's no public health education on understanding how do I naturally bring down my inflammatory load? Because when you're healthy, you, you don't have inflammation unless your immune system needs to fight something off, you know, or you do a hard workout and inflammation is used to remodel those tissues and build it back stronger. But that's the thing is most, most especially Americans, basically everything they do all day, every day is putting in an inflammatory signal. 
the processed food, the sedentary lifestyle, the, the stress, all of it. And it's just growing that, that forest fire over the course of time. So that's, I think, a good analogy to kind of contextualize, like, what is inflammation? And then the virus or the, the illness that, that the outcome of that is an illness or, or a virus. And that's sort of the tipping point in terms of, okay, that is your, that's your forest fire. And this is something that I would, that I recommend to any of my listeners or certainly all of my, all the guys I work with as well is that, you know, sometimes you do have a virus or sometimes you get sick or you're unwell and I'm saying, okay, well, you need to ask yourself what your lifestyle has been like and what your, what your, uh, what your behaviors and your thought process and your stress levels have been like and your sleep and all these sort of things have been like that has caused this virus to happen because there's something there that has suppressed your immune system. This is in my own words. So for me, it's, if you're unwell, if you're sick, if you're feeling depressed, if you're feeling anxious, ask yourself, okay, what is going on in my life that's causing me to to feel this way? Instead of, as you said, just reach for the, the medicine and that's slapping a Band-Aid on the problem. And yes, it, it goes away for a short period of time, but you go back to your your usual habits, your usual lifestyle, which again is just going to cause this this forest fire again. So for me, it's when you become unwell or you feel run down or overly stressed, that's a red flag that you need to attend to and you need to start making some adjustments to your lifestyle. However, you don't need to get to that point, obviously. You're already highlighting some things here that can be applied to your life to minimize the risk of any of that happening in the future. So, uh, yeah, and obviously, if, you know, nutrition. When it comes to nutrition, is something I'm very interested in. Do you have certain beliefs about types of foods that people should be eating or are you just sort of going by the eat your lean proteins plenty of veg plenty of fruit you know not too much or any processed foods minimal sugar have you some sort of elaboration on that yeah absolutely it's it's funny because like nutritional science was like my first love really you know like long before i got into hormones or microbiome or genetics or any of the fancy stuff. Like I was just in love with nutritional science and it's interesting how, you know, diet culture just keeps going and going, right. It's that addiction, to instant gratification. It's that quick fix mentality. Um, because honestly, like a lot of people don't want to change their lifestyle. And it's, it's so bizarre when you kind of zoom out historically of like, you look at processed food hasn't even existed for even a hundred years, right? So the fact that today in, in this lifetime, we actually have to distinguish the difference between like fake food, processed food versus like real food. That's the stuff that comes from the earth. It's funny because it's like that processed food hasn't even existed a hundred years. You know, humans have been on this planet, what, like 200,000 plus years, depending on which lineage you are talking about. But humans have been around for a while. Processed food hasn't, right? And, and you look at obesity rates, and it's really not a mystery of why people are becoming fat and metabolically ill and dying young and having a lower quality of life. 
we're, we have become dysbiotic with the natural world. We don't live with the natural world. We're not active and moving in the environment. We're not immersed into the microbiome of the natural world. We're, we're not eating from the natural world. So when it comes to nutrition, now it's more complicated than ever, right? Like, well, should I do keto or intermittent fasting or vegan or plant-based? I still don't know the difference between those two. Uh, well, what about carnivore? Or maybe I should, what, what about paleo? Or what about macros? Or it's never been more complicated. And don't get me wrong, there, there's a time and a place for more of like kind of a prescriptive dietary protocol. You know, I, I have all sorts of kind of functional medicine prescriptive diets that's like, hey, the low mold diet or the SIBO diet or you know, it's more of a protocol diet for a specific issue. But as far as just like general nutrition, I think we way overcomplicate it. And we really just need to get back to eating real food from the earth. Uh, and like, that's the starting point. Organic is better, ideally, just because of glyphosate being a huge issue. Um, but just real food, right? Like, and before I ever, if I'm working with a private client, because just like anything, it's, it's skills, right? You have to increase your level of knowledge and skill just like you, you don't go into the gym. If you've never worked out a day in your life, you don't go to a CrossFit gym and start doing snatches. Like you're going to get hurt. You're not ready for that. You have to rev up the car one gear at a time. First gear shift, second gear shift. So it's like most people just need to focus on the basic behavioral choices with nutrition of just learning how to hydrate their body better, get more in tune with their body and eating real food and nothing but real food. And people want to like, well, what about like 80, 20, or I can have processed food sometimes. And it's like, yeah, like how much poison are you going to justify putting in your body? That's it. We're all adults here. Like we all have to make that adult independent choice of how much am I going to lie to myself on? No, it's just a little bit of poison. I, I only eat poison 20% of the time, the other 80%. And it's just like, you know, to each their own, like whether it's alcohol or processed food or drugs, you have to admit your vices. You gotta, you gotta own your shit and realize, yeah, you're self-destructive. Like you're choosing to make choices that are hurting you. And it's just how much of that can you get away with before you become symptomatic, dysfunctional, ill. But at the end of the day, as far as like what humans are supposed to eat, plant food, animal food, you know, what comes from the earth. And it's like, if you can master that, where you're eating nothing but real food, and then you want to make it more complicated with fasting protocols or, you know, macros or keto, whatever, you can experiment with that later. But it just starts with eating real food and learning how to nurture your body effectively, because your body will intuitively guide you like, man, I really want a salad or I really want a steak. But we let all of this diet culture cloud our intuition, right? Yeah, I think a big factor here as well is to help people get to the point where they actually know what it feels like to to feel healthy, to have energy, because human beings, as fortunate and just as unfortunate as it is, we're very adaptable creatures. So we adapt to a toxic environment. We adapt to adapt to living a sedentary life. We adapt to eating processed foods and we adapt to feeling like crap all the time and having poor sleep. And this just becomes normal to us. So we have to sort of get into the point where, you know what, this is actually what you should feel like. High of energy, buzzing, you know, got a, got a just for life. You're up and at it every single day. Um, 
So, yeah, um, I think that's an important factor. And as you said, just to rev up the gears uh, over a period of time and to apply something new to the routine or to their lifestyle over you know, a six-week or a 12-week process to get them to the point where they've got a better understanding then as to what they need to apply to to maintain a good level of health for the rest of their lives. And that's something I promote, and I'm sure, I'm sure something you promote as well, to um, is the longevity of of this lifestyle long after they finish working with you. And I think uh, when you rephrase processed food as poison, that uh, that certainly uh, will change people's perspective on it too. You know that it is actual poisoning your your gut, your system, your physical and mental health. So I think that's a very important thing to to take into consideration. It's the other unfortunate thing here as well is that I live in Ireland, and in Ireland there is a big culture of uh, of drinking alcohol, and that's something that happens every weekend on a very regular basis for. I would say 80% of the adults here in this country. So that for me in this country is perhaps the biggest challenge more so than processed foods or lifestyle. It's what happens at the weekends and mm-hmm. alcohol is such a, such a driving factor here. And along with that, I was having this conversation with someone today, actually, that you know we live in a country, Ireland's generally quite cold for, I would say, six months of the year. This time of year, obviously, there's less sunlight because it's winter time. It's bright at eight in the morning. It's dark at like four in the after- in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. But as well as that, it's very damp here. There's a lot, there's a lot of moisture in the air, which I think uh, impacts people's health and causes a lot of um, sicknesses and, and viruses. Um, not good for the lungs, obviously. So just on that context is there anything you could recommend for the people of this country who live in this damp environment to improve their health and not just a damp environment but an environment as well that is uh, has got minimal sunlight because even if the sun is shining it's usually covered with a lot of clouds so <laughs> well, yeah no it's I'm, it... I'm, re- I'm really selling it to you yeah <laughs> no, it's all good. It, it's one of those things where there, there's so much to unpack of it's like, okay, I'm not happy with my health. I'm experiencing symptoms or, you know, health complaints to some degree. So it's kind of like, all right, you know, what do you, what are you going to do about that? Is, is that changing nutrition? Is that changing the way you move in your lifestyle? There's so many things that you could do to try to improve your circumstances Um, and that's where there are a lot of unique challenges based on geography, right? Somebody that lives in an inner city environment, that's not nearly the same environment as like you live, I don't know, in the rural countryside, right? So, um, for me being somebody that's very affected by sunlight, which we all are, but some people are more sensitive to that. And there's a lot of cool science there with seasonality where like, if I were to say, probably what is the most effective way to promote mental health that is natural and free. It is moving in nature in sunlight, like movement by itself is extremely healing for the brain. It promotes brain drive neurotrophic factor and all these neurotrophins that help us regenerate the brain. Basically sunlight stimulates it, you know, microbes in the environment, 
So even just like going outside for a walk in the sunlight is one of just the best things. That's why with, um, you know, geriatric patients with neurodegeneration, they always encourage them to participate in physical therapy and do puzzles, right? Like that helps slow down the neurodegeneration, uh, just the movement or critical thinking. But, you know, so you have to look at your in- environment. Like I might be, um, you know, I'm looking at maybe moving and I might move to uh, the Pacific Northwest, which is known for being cloudy and rainy. And that's kind of intimidating for me. So even during the winter, like I'll use light therapy boxes, full spectrum light bulbs that it's not nearly a replacement for sunlight, but it's better than nothing. So fortunately now, We have all these cool like biohacking devices of the infrared or full spectrum lighting, or I even kind of advocate for doing a little bit of tanning during the winter because like your body needs some UV, some infrared, some full spectrum, like your body needs sunlight to really do well or the moisture. Like this is where when I'm working with clients, improving the health of their environment is one of my first things, right? So Hey, let's get a dehumidifier. Let's get an air filter. Let's get a water filter. Cause you know, so many people like what supplement do I take? What supplement protocol do I do? You know, they just want the pill for the ill, but it's like, think about just the air that you're breathing or the water that you're drinking and then the food. Um, so there's so many things that we can do to just improve our environment, whether it's light exposure, movement, uh, filtering toxins, uh, turning off our Wi-Fi router at night so we don't have like EMF radiation blasting us all the time. So there's so many little tricks that we can do to modify it. But of course, part of it too, like I don't think I could ever live uh, somewhere that's you know cold six months. Like even here in Kansas, eh, you know, it's pretty gray and cold for like five months out of the year, and that that's hard. So uh, I'm gonna adopt the snowbird life myself. Excellent, man. And uh, yeah, we're coming near to the end, but just one thing I wanted to mention before we wrap it up is your thoughts on uh, sauna, using saunas, in, especially in cold, damp um, environments such as Ireland or anywhere else in the world, or even in general. I mean, uh, oh, yeah. Is that something you'd, you'd advocate? Absolutely. Um, Heat exposure and cold exposure are really, really cool um, with what it does to the body. We've got heat shock proteins and cold shock proteins. So that's where like, yeah, jumping in, which I think it's getting a little extreme people jumping in like ice water and stuff. And it's like, it doesn't have to be like, you know, truly frozen over, but yeah, like cold water uh, submersion and uh, heat exposure with you know, sauna steam rooms, or if you want to be really fancy, like an infrared sauna is even more kind of interesting. Um, but yeah, sauna and cold exposure, especially like alternating, really good biohack, cheap, easy, accessible. Usually if you have access to a sauna or, you know, you've got a bathtub filled up with cold water, um, that can be really good. It does create kind of a shock Um, So it can be overdone, like some of my really ill clients that maybe have mold illness or something, they they can't tolerate it, they have to build up to being able to sit in a sauna for 1030 minutes. So just like anything, moderation is key, you don't want to overdo it, because that can be too stressful for the body. But again, that kind of gets into seasonality. You know, we are from the earth, we're supposed to be exposed to the natural environment, whether it's hot, whether it's cold, whereas now we live inside. 
and it's the same climate, the same temperature year round, right? Um, that's not really normal. Our, our body needs that cold exposure to develop resilience against it, or we need that heat exposure. So absolutely sauna and cold water plunges can be a great and easy biohack just to improve longevity. Yeah, sweet. I've, I've, uh, I started jumping into the sea there last year. It's something I do on a regular basis and that's been an absolute game changer for me. So that's, uh, especially, especially fun this time of year. I think it was like four degrees there on Sunday. So yeah. That's nice. <laughs> I don't know. That's a little like I don't know that I, I could I could do it if I forced myself to. I'm just like, why do I want to do that? <laughs> but, as, as, you know. as, as I mentioned, uh, you know, there, there's the fortunate aspect that we are adaptable as well. So I have adapted to the yeah. temperatures over a period of time. But uh, yeah, obviously for somebody who's just starting off, you know, to take your time with it. Maybe dip your toes in the water first. Uh, <laughs> but Brandon, man, this has been amazing uh my brain is loaded with new information and value and i'm sure it's same for the listeners and i really appreciate your time here on this podcast uh, please let us know where we can find you and get in touch with you and follow your work or um yeah just just follow follow you um or, or get in touch oh absolutely well you know first and foremost i really appreciate the opportunity gavin like talking to you connecting with you has been great and i definitely want to stay connected because that's my favorite part about this world is being able to connect with like-minded especially guys like i there there's maybe not enough guys that kind of do what we do out there the kind of health space tends to be a lot of women but we need to normalize it for men right we need to help develop more strong men um i think is important so i really admire the work that you're doing and appreciate being here but as far as where to find me, you know, I'm pretty easy to find. Uh, Instagram is my main platform, and that's at the Holistic Savage. That's where I just put out a lot of free content. It's kind of the main platform that's public facing. But the business is MetabolicSolutionsLLC.com. So anybody that's trying to find me from more of a business perspective, that'd be the place to go. But um, I'm going to keep cranking out content, trying to keep up a good fight. So I really appreciate the yeah. opportunity to speak with you. Yeah, I love him. I love brilliant content. So. Go and check him out and uh yeah some brilliant stuff there and this podcast as i said has been highly valuable to me and all the listeners so thanks so much for your for your time for your space and uh, for this opportunity so we will be in touch and uh yeah have a good day man thanks so much my friend